Hey, everybody. I imagine I am talking to absolutely no one right now because it's going to take a second for everybody to come on in. But I appreciate you four in the room right now taking the time on a Tuesday morning to join. As always, it's going to take a couple minutes for people to get their coffee, get to their computers, follow their little notifications. But once they do, we'll get the ball rolling, have a pretty fun conversation about craft beer and education. Did all of you guys have a decent weekend, a good start to your week so far? Anybody do anything noteworthy over the weekend? <laughs> Outdoors. Outside. You know, I love actually, the pandemic has done one thing. I love the amount of time I've absolutely spent outside. And I really I hope that aspect continues. But we've got some people starting to tune in. So what we'll do, we have these every Tuesday. Some weeks we have more of an Ask Me Anything style. Twice a month we have what we call a year in craft beer panel where we bring four to five people together. Sometimes they don't know each other. Sometimes they know absolutely nothing about one another, but we all love craft beer. So we're going to have a conversation about craft beer and just see where it goes. So Josh, let's start with you. Tell everybody who you are and why you're here today. Yeah. So my name is Josh Lindsay. Um, I am the brewery educator at Carbach Brewing Company in Houston, Texas. Um, so kind of a cool role. It's uh, I'm actually the first one that we've ever had. So kind of getting to blaze my own trail. Uh, but really, I spend most of my time working with kind of all four segments of the industry. So I work with our staff on education from everything from ingredients to processes to properly pouring kind of in line with the Cicerone program. Um, I also work with our distributor and wholesaler partners working on beer education, specifically our portfolio, some distinguishing factors. Um, I get to work with the retailers as well, which is really cool. So um, similar strategies to what we do with the wholesalers, but obviously tailored a little bit more to consumer facing. And then probably my favorite part is working with the consumers, teaching classes, doing virtual tastings at the moment. Uh, I prefer in-person tastings, but I'll take what I can get uh, just to kind of uh, spread the gospel and share what Carbot can provide, but also craft beer as a whole. So it's, a, it's an awesome gig and I'm super blessed to be doing what I'm doing. I'm excited to have you here. And ne next time you come out east, we're definitely getting the beer together rather than just having the virtual beer we had earlier in the year. And in Jim, you know, you and I've been talking a couple of years now. You're out in the middle of nowhere, Ohio and Nebraska. And it's been really interesting and fun getting to learn about your brewery. But tell everybody in a nutshell a little bit about what you do. Well, I'm Jim Stutzman. I'm the owner and brewer at Lazy Horse Brewing in Ohio, Nebraska. Ohio is a town of 100 people, and we are three and a half miles south of there out in the country. Uh, we became the, uh, basically the destination brewery for Nebraskans in northern Kansas. Uh, we focus more on, on light beers, uh, your lagers, your kolsches, you know, anything that we can, we can bring people over from the macro beer world. And I'm really excited to have you here today because you bring a really unique perspective on educating a lot of those macro drinkers to learn about craft, you know, into the craft world already. Yeah, it's so a Julia, different world. I don't think you need a whole lot of introduction, but we're really excited to have you here today. So tell everybody about, who might not know who you are, who you are, and what you do in the beer world. Sure. Good morning, everybody. Uh, what's new in beer world is is everything. Uh, what, a, what a transition phase for the entire community of breweries in the U.S. and, and globally. Um, I have been in beer more than 15 years. I'm a beer educator and advocate. I still stand with that title. Uh, recently was one of the 24 layoffs and, and multiple positions or projects that were transitioned or put on hold from the Brewers Association um, as the national nonprofit trade group. 
So um, for the last 13 and a half years, I've been a voice for craft brewers, advocating and advancing, um, you know, demand, awareness, sales, and education. And I think when we talk today about education, I'll have a uh, as broad a view as I can possibly. I don't think education is just about how we educate ourselves, but it's how about we learn from each other. Uh, so I'll, I'll look forward to sharing those thoughts. We appreciate you joining today. And Eric, I want to give a little introduction about how we kind of met. So Eric and I were at the Craft Beer and Brewing Accelerate Workshop in Richmond, Virginia. I guess that was early March and it was right before the pandemic hit. I just remember when I first got there, I met Laura Lodge of Big Beer and Barley Wines, who just canceled her, sadly her fest for the new year. And her and I met in person for the first time. And I went to like shake her hand or give her a hug. And she was like, no, 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 we're, we're not doing that. And I think we ended up hitting the elbows and it was kind of weird. But that was kind of the vibe for the whole workshop there in Richmond because it was right before people started taking the pandemic a lot more seriously. And it was definitely a really odd place in time, but it was a really great workshop. And that's where we met, had a beer and it was a good time. Why were you there? Why are you here? And what do you do? Yeah, so um, I'm the education manager at White Labs. Uh, I've been with White Labs for going on six years, been in the industry for about 10. Um, but, you know, at, at, to kind of piggyback what Julia said, education means a lot. And when we look at my role in education within our company, uh, very literally, we do a lot of workshops and, you know, support other suppliers and breweries, wineries, distilleries, hard seltzer makers, seltzer makers, you name it. Um, if it has to do with alcohol, we have, you know, some part of it. But uh, also in this education role, we support a lot of the other company on digesting some of the more technical information, um, you know, that might be coming from our R&D team and, and digest that for our, our marketing team, uh, for our sales team, and, and really um, help make a lot of um, what could be overwhelming information a little bit more digestible and um, easy to understand. Uh, for any level of brewer or enthusiast. Yeah, you're in a pretty interesting situation because with White Labs, obviously, it's a lot of educational yeast, but you also have the brewery you guys are operating as well. Now, before yeah. we kind of the current state of craft beer, what made all of you get into craft beer in the first place? And more importantly, why did you choose the educational path in the industry? Josh, you are right next to me. So what made you take the leap into joining the craft beer world and becoming a teacher of it? Yeah, I mean, I um, I started experimenting with beer when I was 17. I uh, realized I couldn't legally purchase it, but I could purchase everything to, to manufacture it, which uh, was an awesome experience, made some really bad stuff. Uh, but realized, you know, there's two ways to go about it. You can continue, you know, or you can drop the hobby, you continue making bad stuff, or you can start to learn and make better stuff. Um, so I took the latter approach, uh, went out to school at the University of Colorado in Boulder, uh, where I was surrounded by uh, amazing brewers, the Brewers Association, lots of resources, um, and just continued to kind of learn my craft. Um, I started in the professional brewing world about four years ago. Um, I got on as an experiential marketer uh, with Carbock Brewing Company, kind of doing activation marketing, beer fest. Um, so in a sense, kind of education, but more in consumer education. Um, and then took a stint over on our sales team. And I realized that, you know, we had a lot of resources, we had a lot of things that were going right. But education was one of those things that I was passionate about and just wasn't seeing really all the resources that I that I felt that I needed. Um, and kind of took a leap of faith and pitched, hey, you know, what if we bring in some sort of educational element? Um, at the time, I had already gotten my certified Cicerone and was kind of learning on my own. And my upper management kind of turned it back to me and said, well, why don't you lead our education team? And um, 
I said, hell yeah, let's do it. So uh, that's kind of what got me into the education aspect is more just turning my passion for beer and passion for teaching others into my full-time job, which I think most of us, yeah, it's not really a job, uh, but I love what I do. I'm going to get excited all you guys say passion and education this whole time we're chatting because it's some of my favorite words. Now, Jim, what about you? I know you were in the wine world to start, but what made you go into beer and why have you decided to take it upon yourself who's around you about it? We actually went into the, the beer business at the exact same time to complement the winery side. Uh, when we started, we, you know, we didn't drink a lot of wine. We drank a little wine. Uh, my wife wanted a vineyard in the backyard. Uh, so I did not want to do all the work required for a vineyard and not, you know, and just basically give the grapes away to a, to a winery. So we planted way too many grapes so we could barely keep up with and did a lot of things wrong, but you know, we sorted it out. During that time we were, <clears throat> excuse me, we were touring different wineries with our friends and every single winery we went to, the guys did their wine tasting like shots so that we could go somewhere that had beer. And it was at that point that we said, you know what, we had probably better, you know, figure out beer too. And during that time I was going to Highland Community College down in Wamego, Kansas, learning fermentation science uh, so that I had a better understanding on the fundamentals. And you know, the, the crossover was was pretty simple from, from wine to beer. Awesome. Julia, how about yourself? You've been in the industry a while, but what made you hop in in the first place? Yeah, I think uh, I love thinking about that history because it really put us all on the trajectory on how we wanted to dig in and learn about beer. Uh, when I was little, I had a, a soap collection. I would always take them out of the boxes, smell them, the different textures to the aromas. Then I went to a first aid kit. That was interesting, you know, smelling tinctures and just sensory wise. I think I was always on the train. Um, my dad was a foodie. He would drink specialty imports and he would actually try to encourage me to think broader um, on my mindset of what I approached palate and taste wise. So that was a big deal. Uh, and then, you know, I learned that beer teaches me not just about the beverage in the glass, but it teaches me history. It teaches me geography. It teaches me about regions and people, frankly, um, behind the, the beverage. So I was absolutely hooked and started brewing in my young 20s and uh, won a membership to the American Homebrewers Association when Charlie Papazian picked my name out of a hat at a beer festival in, in Colorado. Uh, and that was before I worked at the BA. Um, and so when I started getting regular information about how to brew from Zymergy magazine, that's when I really was on the path to say, wow, you can take this further and you can also make a make a career out of it and eventually go pro. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. That's fun. Now, Eric, besides having a great beer, which is necessary, of course, you know, what made you take the jump into you know going into the beer industry as a professional? Yeah, I I make that joke about myself a lot that I'm a typical white male with tattoos in the beard <laughs> in the beer industry. And there's not a whole lot of uniqueness to that. Um, but, you know, it's one of the industries that allows it. So I think that's why we see so much of it. But I kind of like Jim, I started in wine um, on the retail side of things and uh, was homebrewing beer a little bit at the time, but uh, discovered that a world-class bottle of wine is anywhere from $30 up, whereas a world-class bottle of beer is a dollar can be a dollar. <laughs> you can't find those $30 bottles, but we're seeing less and less of, of that, which you know could be a good or a bad thing. Um, so 
you know, just uh, pursuing that path and really learning a lot about wine. And, and when I was selling wine, I was able to try a lot of um, different wine and high-end wine. Um, and then I kind of followed down a path of, um, you know, looking at more of the trade school route and we started seeing more certification programs pop up. So I was able to get my sister on certification in 2013. And I remember, you know, being so excited that I passed that and, and investing a lot of time and money into trying different beer styles. And that path was really fun, but looking for jobs with it, a lot of people still didn't understand what that certification was at the time. Um, I was able to land a job at a newly opened nano brewery uh, back home. I was actually in uh, the DC area at the time that came back to San Diego and they were, they were as excited about the certification as I was, but I think we were all a little um, naive on our, our knowledge level and understanding and that that brewery has since closed. So we learned a lot from that. And uh, I'm fortunate that, you know, it wasn't my business that, felt the uh, effect of those mistakes that we made, but we've learned a lot since. Uh, and then, you know, since then there, there's been a lot of other programs that have opened up, uh, taken courses at UC Davis and uh, completed the certificate program at San Diego State University and have been fortunate enough to, to go back and teach there as well, which is really cool because um, growing up, I never really did that well in school. And a lot of it was because it, it, the topics didn't challenge me or, you know, weren't of interest to me. So when I was able to follow this path um you know it's I've, i still stay up at night reading some of the geeky books you know i pretty much only read nonfiction, and my wife's like you know you're reading about smoked beers right, right before bed and i'm like yeah this book's only about malt it's driving me nuts but go figure what are you reading right now uh the, the smoked beer book is the the last beer book um that i went through um and then i've revisited the new ipa a couple times that's a good book for sure. Yeah, I have a separate bookshelf just for my beer books. It's like all divided. My wife has her cookie. And I have my beer books. I have my fiction books. She yells at me. She says I can't buy any more books. But yeah, I read the cooking books too. I, there's a couple barbecue books that I'm pretty into. But we'll, well save that for another one. Segue because I really need to get my wife more into the beer pairings right now because you know she's not as adventurous in the beer world as me. After she's you know. When she starts drinking double IPAs, I know she's had too much to drink because that's not something she normally ever tastes. But back to the pairings, Julia, I know we've never met before, but I love every time I catch you on a podcast or seminar where you talk about the beer and food pairing. You know, how has that world changed since the start of the pandemic? You know, what's the good, the bad, the ugly? And, you know, how can we use it as a way to actually, you know, do more of that? Yeah, and I love this topic because it's very important to, to breweries who are speaking on, as sensory authorities on the beverage. Um, but a lot of beer educators um, and brewers themselves, taproom um, servers, et cetera, are just not positioned to confidently speak to pairing. And if you think about the majority of occasions when we enjoy the amazing beverage of beer, it's with food. Um, so I think it's a little behind still, and I'm surprised. Um, I co-authored the uh, hashtag beer pairing book. I mean, it is called beer pairing. Uh, with Gwen Conley of the San Diego area, famous Gwen Conley. And it was seven years of everything I wanted to try to um, put into a book that I had to force teach myself. And um, when you take over a position that, that beer famous Ray Daniels created, so Ray Daniels was at the Brewers Association in many iterations. Um, and his last iteration was in charge of the craft beer program that then I took over. Um, and he was also Brewers Publications um, Director 
Uh, but Ray really had a lot of things set up for the year that I had to then fulfill that had to do with beer pairing. And I'm like, I'm a beer geek. I'm a brewer. I do not know how to speak to this world. And it, it was crazy. We were we were doing pairing um, presentations to, to members of Congress at, you know, and I had to step in and and cheat. Uh, I didn't like that. So it took me seven years and the beer pairing book um, and other resources that I've also worked on with many great people, I think really encapsulate what we um, can start to do uh, for confidence and, and, and trying to describe what you taste is often like, you know, trying to describe color to somebody that can't visually see. We don't have the lexicon or if we do have the lexicon, it might not be common lexicon. So I'll give you the quick hit um, and I could talk about this all day. But if you can explain something when you're pairing a beer to beverage, call it, you know, for, forgive me, beverage to, to food and in our case, beer, uh, if it's a home run to you, the beer made the food better, the food made the beer better, one plus one equals five. Home run pairings don't come along every day, one in 10, one in 20, depending on who, you know, what situation. Middle of the road is beer doesn't make the food better, food doesn't make the beer better, but at least you can describe that that is a enjoyable experience where there's nothing negative. And then there's, you know, the train wreck. There's a, a, a palate experience and interaction that is um, displeasing. And then getting to those three and then describing why you picked it in that category is a, is a great place to start. The yeah, that, that book is uh, awesome. And, you know, we're fortunate that Gwen's just down the street at Cutwater from where I'm sitting today. Uh, and I think the approach that you guys laid out uh, made it really accessible because I've never been a fan of the pretentious, like 12 course, you know, gnarly dinners that just fatigue everybody and you end up drunk. And there's, you know, it's fun. There's a place for it. But uh, I've always been a big advocate, which I think you guys uh, really showed through that book and your attitudes of, you know, a, a beer pairing is more based off of the emotions of the people you're with and the atmosphere than it is the actual beer and food. Because, you know, if you're having a good time, it's it's always going to go together, whether it's technical or not. And um, I think you guys broke it down really well to make it, you know, if you want to take it to that next level and understand why the ingredients interplay with each other, you can. But if you want to keep it pretty surface level and enjoy it too, you guys hit the nail on the head with that They're kind of open to the table has anybody seen the really unique beer pairing combos that have taken place during the pandemic that a brewery's put into place i know i saw a pretty neat one advertised in the crappy professionals group and i wish i could call them out by name right now but i don't remember so i'm sorry they had some package you would pick up it had like chocolate cheeses and snacks but also the proper beers to pair it and the guests would purchase it online pick it up at the brewery and take it home and enjoy it but that was pretty neat i know in-person pairings are a difficult task right now. But, you know, yeah, I don't want to just brag on ourselves, but one of the things that we did is we actually did a virtual beer dinner. I worked with a local restaurant, and so there was a one-hour pickup window before the event started. Um, we started right on time, kind of like a welcome beer, where there was 15 minutes to kind of heat up the wings, throw the pizza in the oven to kind of warm that back up. And then we kind of talked through it like we were all together. Um, but to Eric's point, nobody had to, to wander too far to their couch after a, a six course meal, but um, it worked out pretty well. You know, we obviously had to, to work with the restrictions of, you know, this isn't coming out of, of a professional kitchen. So how can we prepare uh, food items that are still going to be complimentary to the beers um, and vice versa while, you know, having somebody be able to kind of heat it up at their house. Um, and we limited it to 40 people and it, we sold it completely through. So uh, it was super exciting. It was a fun experience. 
first time I've ever led a virtual beer dinner. Um, but I think there's some opportunity there um, from that standpoint. I know uh, the cider world has been doing a lot of stuff with cider and cheese, cider and chocolate. And I think, you know, we can take some notes from some of that. Now, were you eating alongside all the guests? I actually tasted all of them before. Uh, so I was in a good spot where I didn't have to eat on camera. I think that's one of the most nerve wracking things. There's no easy way to do it. Um, so I, uh, I was not, I was consuming my beverage, but I was not, uh, I was not eating with them. Fair enough. Fair enough. Now, since the pandemic hit Josh, I know you're in Texas right now and you guys have been hit pretty hard. How have you managed to survive in any unique aspects besides obviously the beer pairing that has been successful for you guys? You know, I think the thing is, um, you know, we're a pretty distribution heavy brewery. And so we've been kind of focused on that aspect. How can we continue to build our relationships with our retailers and do some unique things? um to get consumers to encourage a try so we uh we launched a new beer package called the ultimate party pack it's a six beer variety pack so you're getting three of each of those um excuse me four of each of those and so again since we can't do sip to sale and kind of give people that experience we're putting some proven brands with some of our innovation brands to kind of encourage people to try it um we're doing some some small like little tear-offs where it has some information we're trying to film you know some video series we did a, a quick series called quick sips that was a you know, 30 second to a minute. Hey, here's a beer. Here's some some fun facts about it. Grab one for yourself and let us know what you think. So um, like everybody else, we're trying to find the, the magic uh, formula. We haven't quite nailed it down, but everybody learns in a different way and everybody's looking for different experiences. So I think just doing anything um, is going to help to grow. And then if you find something that really hits, uh, you know, stick with it. Yeah, worst case, you try it. It doesn't work. You try something else next time. It's all about trying that innovative strategy right now to see what you can do to get through all this tough time. Now, Jim, you're kind of on the other side of the table right now because you're in Nebraska and I know you haven't been hit as hard as most of the country. So you're having a lot of in-person experiences. And you had mentioned a little bit earlier, you have a lot of people come in, typical macro drinkers. You know, what is your process to convince these typical non-craft drinkers to enjoy what you're making? How do you turn them into an advocate for what you're doing? We have the beer they want to drink. Uh, the style of beer they want to drink. So, you know, we do, you know, lagers. Then we do a light lager that's, you know, 3.9 ABV and about 14 IBUs. So the most common question we get from that person is what do you have? What's the closest thing to Bush Light? You know, it's just every weekend we get the question and you know, we have our county line lager, uh, which is very light, very easy drinking. You know, so we have what our 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 neighbors would want to drink, you know, typically. And, you know, it transitions them over. You know, you see them out at the grocery store buying some of our beer to go along with their 30-pack of Bush Light. And I consider that to be a win. You know, if we sell a six-pack for every 30-pack Bush Light sells, I'd be pretty busy. So, and I want to touch just a little bit on the beer pairing. You know, we do beer pairings here, and we'll go through it, you know, and kind of BS our way through it a lot of the time. But at the end of it, every single time I tell people, just eat what you like and drink what you like. Stop letting the food nerds and the beer nerds try and direct you into something that they like because that's probably not your thing. So if you hate IPAs, it doesn't matter what you pair it with, you're still gonna hate IPAs. And that can go for any beer style. and. You know, that's kind of the that's kind of our mantra and the way we do things is we let our customers guide our business. We stay super nimble, super flexible, 
you know, if they want something, they're probably going to get it. We haven't caved yet on the seltzer world, but we're pretty close. What you do the seltzer pairing there? I'll drive out to Nebraska for you, even though I don't drink seltzer very much. Yeah, it'd be fruit and gummy bears. That's that's it. It's the easiest pairing ever. No, I really like your approach. Now, Eric, you're in a little different situation there because White Lab's obviously known for your yeast, but then you're also at the brewery tap room. So where does the educational component come in for you? Are you teaching the guests a lot about the yeast? I know I think I saw a mix six pack you did recently where you did the same beer, different strains of yeast. How much do you focus on the yeast education versus general beer education? Yeah, that's hard. And uh, real quick, I don't know who saw on the Facebook group, but I posted a semi-trolley post about a seltzer beer pairing. Yeah, and... uh, you know, and, and essentially I went through and made it really pretentious. And by the end of it, I said, you're just drinking what's in the cooler and the, the warm salsa that's been sitting out all day at the lake. But, you know, the point I was trying to make with that, and I was surprised how many people were really passionate about it on both sides. Some people hated it. Some people got that it was a joke, but it really wasn't a joke. It was kind of to poke fun at ourselves, I think. And, you know, I think those beverages have, have a place. And if you're tubing all day and out at the lake, you know, totally cool to pull one of those out of the cooler and drink it from the can. So I think we need to kind of check ourselves a little bit to what Jim's saying too. Uh, and, you know, put ourselves uh, in, in the place of the general consumer because so often beer was, you know, really we get trapped in these bubbles of talking to groups like ourselves where we're all passionate and we all know what we like. We know how to talk to each other, but uh, seeing, you know, most the, the group buying craft beer is, is very, Uh, not always as geeky as we are. And it's just people that want something that tastes good. So as soon as we forget that most people are buying beer in a grocery store because it's convenient and not necessarily looking at the label or who brews it or if it's independent or not, um, I think once we understand that, we can help push everything forward to, you know, to, you know, follow the seal and get get in their mind on uh, what they're looking for and, and how best to fit that. And I think, Jim, you nailed you nailed it pretty well there. Um, you know, so what we do in our brewery, it is very different <clears throat> and it is a big balance of, you know, R and D creating good beer and then showcasing what yeast does. So there is when we're operational and up and running, it's, uh, it is a challenge to have people come in and, and show them the same wort fermented with two different yeast strains side by side, because most people care that, that seek us out. But, uh, you know, to, to what I was kind of saying is we just want people to come in and enjoy the beer too. And, you know, if they want to get that experience and understand yeast and fermentation a little bit more, we're there for them, but we want people to come and have a good time and enjoy quality beer first, because without that, there's none of the second step, right? You're, you can't just start talking about yeast and fermentation when somebody doesn't even care about the beer because you're going to lose them. Um, and it, it can be a pretty, uh, a pretty dense topic for a lot of people and it's it can be difficult to understand even for brewers there's a lot of people in the industry that don't fully understand the effect of yeast and fermentation and that's why there's a lot of bad beer out there too uh, fortunately less and less but it's always a balance of just approachability and accuracy i think that's a good point too eric oh sorry andrew no, go ahead. Keep it with it, Josh. Oh, so uh, I actually, me and my wife just took a trip up to Asheville and we were able to go to White Labs, uh, which was really cool. But, you know, I found myself doing, I think I did like three flights of side by sides. Um, and I was trying to pull things out of my wife. I'm like, what do you smell? What do you taste? And she's like, 
I just want another pint of the check pills, you know, like I'm having fun just sitting here hanging out with you. Like I don't need to do that aspect of it. And so I think, uh, you know, it's, it's been said a lot, but you know, how we approach that and how we, you know, sprinkle in some education. I was taught a term a long time ago called sneak teaching. How do you educate people without them knowing that you're actually teaching them something? Um, and I think beer dinners are a good source of that, but um, it's what are some ways that we can kind of bring people in and give them some knowledge, even when they're not expecting it. And then in turn, they continue to progress. So a uh, nice little anecdote and plug for White Labs in Asheville. They were really great. And uh, again, just, you know, how can we continue to, to move this industry forward? I agree to that as well. And to kind of go back to what you were saying, Eric, you talked about there's less and less bad beer out there. I think, you know, a decade ago when there was way less breweries, you could make an okay beer, have an okay experience, and you could still be pretty successful and you could grow. And today you might be a, you know, a pretty large company, but if you open today, you just have an okay experience, okay beer, and you're just an okay brewery, you're not going to survive. And obviously education has been an important part about beer since beer was first brewed. But, you know, over the past 10 years of looking into the future, how important is the educational component? Let's just assume the breweries, you know, making quality beer. How much you know, do you have to be on point with that educational component to be you know, willing to enable to differentiate in the current world? Anyone want to touch on that one? I can hit that because we've, you know, we've got the a far more unique customer base than than a lot of people. And quality of beer is is a weird thing because it is the most important thing you have if you don't have it. Once you have good beer, now it's the least important thing. And experience becomes the most important thing. So, you know, as, as brewers, we need to make great beer. As business owners, we need to give the experience that, that matches our beer and matches what our customers want. So while, while beer quality is super important, it's only important if you don't have it. That's a good point, Jim. Well, I think that's a great point as well. Uh, you know, I think the thing is, like, how many times do we say, you know, like, oh, man, as brewers, we'd love to brew this beer, but the consumers, that's just not what they're looking for, right? And I think some of that comes from the fact that as brewers and as beer folks, we are a little bit more educated than most, right? And so we can pick up some of these nuances. So I think as we want to continue to grow this and, and experiment with new styles, as we educate the consumer, well, now they're having that same knowledge and appreciation for some of these more unique styles or different um, you know, flavor compounds that they weren't used to. So I think as we kind of push people's boundaries a little bit and kind of get them to explore and jump out of their box, um, that will continue to grow uh, their knowledge, which in turn will not necessarily get them exactly to where, you know, the brewmaster is or, you know, some of these other folks, but we'll move them forward so that we do take people from, okay, what's the closest thing that you have to this light lager and move them through into some of these more complex styles. And I think it's the same thing that the wine industry has really been able to do really well at. Um, and as a beer industry, we're just a little bit behind. And so again, giving that knowledge, knowledge is power and then it, getting them to explore. I think that's great because you really speak to the experience when someone just walks into your brewery for the first time is teaching them about what you have to offer. Now for everybody else on the panel right now, you know, Eric, you know, Jim, you guys both work in breweries as well. When someone walks into your brewery for the first time who you don't recognize whatsoever, you know, how do you describe the first minute of your interaction with them? What are you looking to find out? How do you greet them? What do you do to get them be ready to dive deeper into what you have? When we when we see somebody come in and 
Well, the first thing we do is we act like we always know them, like we remember them. Uh, first of all, all of our staff has been trained that as soon as they walk through the door, you make eye contact with them. And if you're not super busy, you welcome them up. We do bar service only. You know, we have beer and food. You come to the bar, get your beer, we'll bring your food out to you. And, you know, that's that was a, a little bit of a tough transition because it doesn't happen around here. Everything is table service. But we make sure that the customer, when they walk in the door, realizes they are recognized and they're important uh, to, to our staff. And, you know, we kind of let things roll from there and let the customer dictate, you know, how the relationship's going to go, you know, for the rest of the evening. And that's the education I think that we should be talking about for the next 30 minutes because the the low-hanging fruit would be training your staff on beer styles and all that. And I think that's important, but I, I mean, let's be honest, we personally probably don't care about that very much when we're having a beer. You know, we might want the geekiest, you know, somebody to know the hop profile of every one of your beers, but I would rather have somebody that's a kick-ass beer tender that wants to ask me about my family, then tell me about every brand they have on. Yeah, it's definitely about building those connections. I'll throw in a question that Julie asked just now. She goes, how is the panel translating educational activities for consumers and for retail accounts to the real world? Does anybody have any examples of how you're doing that? We can come back to that one shortly, if not. We, we go out and we train, you know, uh, distribution staff. Uh, we do, you know, meet the brewer nights uh, at different retail accounts. And the one thing I tell, I've sent a few of our staff to do them. It's, it's important to go out and meet the customers. It is far more important to go out and meet the bartenders and the bar staff and the restaurant staff. Those are the people you build a friendship and a relationship with because those are the people that are gonna recommend your beer or somebody else's. Uh, so if you have quality beer on par with everybody else's, but you're a really cool guy, that bartender is going to recommend your beer based on your personal experience with them. So, <clears throat> so you know, teaching them all the different beer styles, you know, that just isn't really plausible when you go to do an event at a retail account. Uh, so we build relationships, you know, it's, and you'll hear me say that just about everything we do at our brewery is, is relationship driven. You know, we don't do the beer nerd stuff hardly at all. You know, there's a few customers that come in that want that we give it to them, but you know, meeting any retail staff, it's about the relationship. Uh, they're going to carry your beer because you have quality beer. So most of them, you know, say a, a high V has 400 different brands they're not going to remember your beer. They're going to remember that, you know, the, the lazy horse guy was a cool guy to hang out with, go buy his beer. So you guys because you're lucky enough not to have to, you know, worry about the, the virtual component as much of, as everybody else. So for Josh and Eric, and even any feedback you might have, Julia, you know, how can you best build that relationship with the distributor bars and restaurants in the current state of, you know, the world we're living in right now? Can I jump into a classic marketing move and approach that translates, especially to, in my view, direct to consumer sales and the online ordering 
Um, so many of us are doing online ordering and now breweries given permission from those and us that put our information in have a direct conduit to email more, right? You are not just collecting an order, you're collecting and expanding a much broader um, list to contact and fuel and communicate with. Um, back to classic marketing, I think the point is, is that any retailer that you're talking to, and I know Julie's looking for specific examples, I'll, I'll get to one in a second, um, in the virtual environment, is that you've got to make sure that you are differentiating yourself and you are, as the um, producer, the brewer, the authority on beer. And so how does your brand as an authority make the consumer, who I like to say beer lover, because it's just not all about the, the, the dollars we're pulling out of our pockets. We don't just consume just like we don't, you know, we're not food eaters. Um, we're purchasers, we're appreciators, we're lovers. So beer lovers, how are you as an authority making that um, beer lovers world better? How are you giving them convenience? How are they giving them a great experience? How are you enriching their, their lives? How are you saving them money? How are you taking them deeper because they splurge and spent more money? And so the whole point I think um, that I've seen for breweries that are successful is, is they don't just position themselves as I am your guide and your guru, but here's how I guide you to a better place. And I've seen um, examples of that in the virtual world when you want to dive deeper than just the, hey, I just want to pint with you know Josh as his wife at the bar. But when you want to go deeper now, because of COVID, you have a more connected environment, I believe, to the producers. I can more easily say that I can have access to um, brewer A, B, and C because they're doing virtual, virtual event A, B, or C. And so I think that's very powerful. Um, and my quick example is in, I'm in Lyons, Colorado, where uh, Oscar Blues Brewery, the, uh, the window behind me that you can barely see that side. If I go five minutes on my golf cart across town, I'm at where, you know, Oscar Blues started brewing. And I think it's great to see other breweries in small towns like this. And one is down the way, Berthoud, Colorado has City Star Brewing, Whitney and John. And through their direct-to-consumer sales, they're ordering and then they're also personally delivering um, those beers on certain days. And so we get that personal connection now with that brewery that we never had. And we don't even have to go to the brewery to get that. It's, it's pretty incredible. Oh, I love that. Now we're talking about getting craft beer to current customers already. People who are already familiar with those breweries. Most people ordering you know, to their houses for pickup, for delivery, or whatever it may be, are already customers of that brewery. That's not really helping craft beer grow. Unfortunately, we're just kind of feeding the audience we already have. You know, during a pandemic and just in general, what strategies do you four believe are best to kind of help that craft percentage grow? You know, how can we reach typically non-craft consumer? Jim, you're doing that a bit because your area is really not a crafty area. So you get a win on there. But for everybody else at the table, you know, how can we help craft grow by exposing people to the delicious beers everybody's making right now? You know, one of, the, one of the things that we've done is we've worked with a lot of office spaces um, and even corporations in some cases to do like a sponsored happy hour. Um, and you're getting access to people who may or may not be familiar with you, even if the brewery is just down the street from their office. Um, you know, so, you know, I, I've done those several times in a non-global pandemic, but um, I bring this up because I, I just did one. It was a virtual happy hour um, with a corporation here in Houston. And many of the people on the call, we had about 60 people show up. Um, and many of them had never even heard of Carbox. So we encouraged them to go out and buy one of our variety packs 
Um, so that gives them, it's a 12 pack of four different beers, three of each. And so they're able to, to try some new beers. They're able to be guided through those four beers. So they have some of those fun facts, those fun stories, um, and tasting notes that they can share with their friends as they're sharing these excess beers that they now have, or, um, they're consuming them themselves because hopefully they enjoyed the experience. But, um, again, doing that outreach and getting in front of people who, again, may not know that your brewery is there, may not be able to pick your beer out on the shelf. Um, and doing that. So I think the more times that the touch time that you can get, I mean, we kind of believe that, you know, beer will sell itself if you can get people to try it. The challenge is there's so many options and people, you know, are shopping by labels or they're, you know, shopping by a variety of different things. So how can we get them to pick your beer? And I think doing some of those experiential events and that kind of wraps into Julie's question um, in a virtual world is, you know, how can we get in front of them and build that affinity? I actually really like that because you combine a struggle that a lot of companies are having by working remotely, not having that, you know, teamwork component, but you gave a team building activity they can do that's also educational that also throws beer into the mix. That's a really unique idea. Does anybody else have anything they want to throw on this one? Yeah, I, I think the realism of this, like, what's actually going on in the situation is, and I, I would be more curious to Julia's answer, but I think it's really difficult. And I think even talking about growing the craft segment right now is a huge challenge. I think what the, what we should be seeing or, you know, what we are seeing is um, people just trying to stay afloat. And I'm, I'm hoping that we don't see a drop coming out of the next six months in that segment. And, you know, we should always be talking about growing. And uh, Chris White, founder of uh, White Labs, had a, a good point a couple weeks ago when we were talking about this is, you know, for years it was how do we get to that 10% mark? And we hit that and the conversation uh, started shifting a little bit and those milestones when craft continued to grow, um, especially by dollar value, weren't celebrated like they were 10 years ago. Uh, and you know, beverages have changed, trends have changed. Um, and I think we will see a growth, but I think what we're going to see is, uh, dedication to those local breweries really solidify, um, and people start realizing, um, their purchasing power and, and looking at where they're spending their dollar, uh, because people are, are worried that they're not going to have that income in six months. So you're going to make what you're spending it on count a little bit more. I'll jump in. Um, there's a, a bunch swirling around in this. And I mean, put a pandemic in the mix that nobody planned for, most didn't have in their business model. Um, and, you know, just huge disruption and you don't have any guarantees. Uh, you know, Brews Association put out their mid-year survey and craft was basically down 10% in the first half of 2020 already. So I think the question is valid on how we keep craft going, but it's not to be taken for granted that, uh, frankly, it's up to 2019, 5,000 of the 8,000 plus breweries opened in the last five years. And so those breweries are coming from a different environment. Um, of the last three years, all those breweries are used to federal excise tax relief. So if excise tax doesn't get um, uh, another extension or hopefully made permanent, uh, breweries uh, across, you know, the smallest up to 60,000 barrels will be paying $7 double um, as opposed to 350 with that relief. 
Um, so uh, one way we keep craft going is we, we are going to need to remember that the Brewers Association is the national nonprofit and each state brewers guilds have been saying year in and year out um, since we got all 50 state brewers guilds, uh, either in 2013 or 2014, support our local breweries. Here's the advocacy we need. So we need breweries to continue to support those organizations through their membership. That is absolutely key. And, you know, direct to consumer sale is still trickling and growing. Um, latest Brewers Association uh, impact data has so many breweries on such a large percentage taking advantage of these kind of not wild west, but opened up laws. Um, and we don't want those laws to uh, or, you know, uh, allowances to sell direct um, to go away, frankly. And so keeping that around is, is really key. Um, those are two big things, just access to market and making sure craft brewers can continue to sell. And, you know, the pandemic, it's anyone's guess with um, uh, a vaccine um, and when. Uh, 2021, is it a whole year of still this big pause and interruption and more economic strife and more layoffs? Um, so I'll wrap it up in a little more positive bow that, you know, it's it's dismal. I'm on unemployment. It is not cool of what's going on. People are going to be out of homes and work, and it is it is rough. Craft brewers, back to classic marketing as community citizens. And I'm, and I'm looking at Jim as just like this small brewery serving his backyard community in such a humble way. You guys have to deliver and back to your, your word, Jim, of experience in the brewery and in the package at retail. How do you make each beer lover's life a little better by buying your beer and supporting you? And you've got to slam dunk that message and differentiate yourself or you as an individual brewery against all the other, you know, share of wallet and palate, cider, sake, wine, um, kombucha, everything going on, cannabis, CBD products. Um, you know, what are you guys doing to differentiate yourselves to say that you can serve your customer the best way? And then at least you will individually grow. The more of you that do that, the whole segment and category will grow. Wow, that's just powerful words right there. I love it. I love it. Now, now, kind of look at the landscape as a whole, Julia, because, you know, with your experience at the Brewers Association and your relationship with guilds, you know, a lot of those organizations are obviously reducing their staff. They're, they're suffering as well. No one was spared from this terrible pandemic except Jim. So everybody but Jim was spared from this pandemic. So, you know, how can breweries, what would your advice be to breweries who don't necessarily have the leadership they once had from people in high places? You know, what's your advice to them to help make it through this? Um, I actually wrote about this in my last column um, at the New Brewer and, you know, brewers, it's a great question because uh, Jeffrey Stuffings, I was on a panel early in COVID with him with Weldworks and Jeffrey said something from uh, um, Jester King in Texas that struck me. He said, brewers are being asked and, and, and all in beverage and hospitality at the time were being asked to sacrifice for their country, literally close their doors, close their revenue streams so people could be safer right? Not safe because COVID and safe do not go hand in hand. So I think it's really important for breweries and tell me I'm getting off track on the question um, to, to get at the fact of how they are going to be COVID cautious and keep people in that spectrum of conservative to liberal on how they approach things, um, feeling like they will still be uh, uh, relatively safer within the rules in how they are interacting with their brewery and their brands. Um, that is that is key. Now, to kind of go on the question for a minute more, and anyone else can chime in on this one. Like, 
some guilds, I've talked to a guild out in the Midwest that's really not operating right now because they don't have any funds just because of everybody's been laid off. So when breweries don't have this leadership, who do they look to for support? And, you know, as people in the industry yourselves, what can we do to provide one another support better? I feel that the constant stream of communication, learning from one another, you know, I always love the th threads in the Crappy Professionals group because someone will post a thread about, you know, how we're surviving the pandemic and one person will throw out an idea in California that's helping someone out in Virginia. So I really love the collaboration that happens between breweries nationwide that just overall communication I think is much needed right now. A little positivity goes a long way. Can I interject real quick? Because yeah. I, I didn't exactly answer the question um, and, and what the point of what I was saying earlier was laying the groundwork where the owners, the leaders and what you're asking about is, is how do they you know keep pace? They have to stay strategic. Right now, we have so many business owners and those leaders are in the trenches in survival. They, you know, it's paperwork, whether you've been laid off or furloughed or you're the business that did that. Everyone's drowning in paperwork and, you know, day by day, you've got to allow whatever remaining team you have around you to still give you that visionary chance to be strategic. So you can then approach your business from less of a day to day way, but maybe more now of a quarterly and a half year and year way. So that's a little bit more specific to your question. Yeah, I completely agree. The focus on just business practices in general are more important than ever right now, because if you don't have a plan, you're probably not going to survive. Eric, did you want to throw something in on that one? Yeah, just speaking from, you know, putting on my my brewery hat for a minute, like the California Craft Brewers Association has been the best resource that I've seen day to day. And what's really baffling, though, is how much Facebook, the Facebook world starts you know, chattering where there's misinformation or they don't understand how the, the rules keep changing, but they've never really opened up to some of those guilds and some of those trade organizations that help um, advocate for that information or go to the governor's office and say, this is right or, or, or wrong. Um, and it doesn't mean that the laws are going to change or the regulations are going to change, but I think a lot of people have winged it for a long time and it's starting to show because even going around to some of the breweries um, around here, there's a lot of people with what what they're doing is they're requiring that you purchase a meal. And I have outdoor seating and there's, you know, what the ABC in California is defined as a bona fide meal hasn't changed. Um, but it's new to a lot of people because they never had to deal with food before. So a lot of people uh, aren't necessarily following the regulations the right way. Uh, but there's the the other opinion on it too, that we don't know the finances of these businesses and they might deem the risk of trying to placate these regulations as much as they can without closing the doors because they need the revenue. Uh, but there, there still is that leadership. And it's, I think a lot of people don't realize coming from a supplier side, like I, I'm very familiar with what supports these trade organizations, right? It's fundraising through conferences and that's gone for, pretty much all of them. And they still need some way to uh, sustain themselves. And they still really need support as much as we can, right? It's really hard for people to spend money right now. And I understand, but um, all working together through those trade groups is, is really the, the unifying um, element that helps us have the ear of lawmakers and policymakers.
No, it's really valuable words right there. Does anybody else have anything on that topic they want to add in? Cool. We're going to climb into a question. Go ahead. You're here. That's how the whole craft segment grew because it finally came together as a collective community. Had a definition that's definitely uh, um, had lots of comments on, but it's defined itself and the craft brewers within the National Association and state guilds. Um, this is the era to double down on supporting them so they can, as Eric's saying, continue to represent nationally and pull in you guys as individual producers if you're with a brewery or even allied trade and distributor side so you can have an engaged voice um, at the state and federal level. Now, to the definition of craft beer, Julia, do you think that needs to evolve again from the definition that was laid out a few years ago? Um, I love speaking to the definition. I'm speaking to it daily um, from uh, 2007 till uh, June of 2020. Uh, you know, the craft brewer definition, small and independent um, and must make beer and have a TTT brewer's notice. That has been a very valuable tool. Any definition um, as a marketer, you look at the marketing, National Marketing Association, they update branding, what that is, marketing, what that is, advertising, what that is. Um, every several years, uh, over time, our constitution has had amendments. Um, over time, anything that is defined will change and evolve and grow to keep pace with the times. So my um, answer to that is, is when those that define themselves through the craft brewer definition uh, want it to evolve, they should evolve it. Um, it hasn't changed dramatically over the years. Um, more than it's been four definition changes since 2006. I would call that uh, pretty minimal in 13 plus years, um, and it's been highly effective and so much so that, you know, you've got uh, uh, small and independent breweries differentiating themselves with the independent craft brewer seal. You've got big brewers, you know, wanting to be referred to as craft brewers, um, and it's all good, right? Craft, the concept of craft has completely disrupted and elevated uh, the U.S. beer game and now put us on the map as the number one beer destination on planet Earth. I'd call the definition pretty damn effective and it should continue to stick around and grow and um, evolve as the brewers see fit. I love it. I think one of the most important things about craft beer is a community that comes with it. Because whatever the definition may be, it's the fact that all five of us are here together. There's 10,000 people in the group. We just talk about it and we might not agree on everything. We might make different products that may or may not be craft, but we're in this to learn together. And I think that's what's really going to get us through it. And I wanted to go to a question that Dr. J of Crafted for All asked. She said, are there ways brewery, brewing organizations can better leverage edu educational credentials like Cicero for recruitment and hiring, for customer interactions, for marketing and communications? I've heard many say that educational certifications carry more in wine and spirits. What are the thoughts on that one? I know, Eric, you talked a little bit earlier about you were so excited when you first got your Cicerone. Yeah. yeah, and there's a balance between, you know, again, going back to pretentiousness and, and beer has always really tried to uh, be the accessible beverage, whereas uh, wines always seemed a little stuffy. Um, which is it's gotten better. So, you know, when it comes to programs like the, the Cicerone program, a lot of people in the industry push back on it. And I think there is a lot of validity to building up your resume with that program or similar programs or just experience, right? Having a rounded resume, if, you, if you're put, if you're applying for a job and you have a certification that's relevant and that somebody else doesn't, of course, it's going to benefit you um, in 
you know, in at least getting an interview for that job. So I think when people scoff at it, uh, it's kind of unfounded. Um, but I think where we don't see as as much importance is on the production side. You know, we're really talking about service industry here, but the production side is generally treated as um, entry level manufacturing, but it's a, a dangerous job and does require a lot of skill set um, from the shift brewer perspective, right? If you want to be an owner, a head brewer, I think you should have a lot of education on that product. Uh, but, you know, it's we don't always see that there are a lot of resources out there. And I think it just comes down to people not having a lot of time and learning the hard way. Um, but, you know, being able to have an understanding of your product uh, to, to what Jim was saying, before you start making it, it's going to save you a lot of money and it's going to save you a lot of headache of being able to put um, higher quality product out there rather than, you know, wondering why diacetyl is popping up in your beer after being on tap for a week. It's like, well, there's a really, really simple test that's going to take about 15 minutes to tell you if that beer's, uh, you know, gone through maturation or not. Yeah, I think those are great points. I think, I mean, we've got, there's 4,100 uh, plus or minus um, certified Cicerones in the world. There's currently three on this call that I know of. Um, and I think the thing is, you know, like any professional title, sure, it can bring you some clout. It can bring you some, um, you know, some saying like, okay, one day you were able to sit down and take a relatively challenging test and pass it. You know, I think the real good thing about the Cicerone certification program is that it's pushing people out of their limits. The same thing that we've been talking about on education, right? Like if you're going through that program, when you read through that syllabus, you're likely not an expert on all of those topics. So being forced or being pushed to go through and learn more about styles, learn more about beer and food, learn more about service and process, it gives you a very well-rounded um, knowledge on the topics around brewing. And then in that you're discovering new things, you're discovering new resources and allows you to continue to broaden your knowledge. You know, my title, I always laugh at because I'm considered a brewery educator, but I'm just as much a student as I am a teacher. Um, I've learned from everybody on this call uh, today and before this, and I continue to learn. Anybody who says that they're an expert in anything has already lost the battle in my opinion. You've got to continue to grow, especially in an industry like this that changes every day. There's new beer styles, there's new ingredients, there's new processes. And if you're not trying to learn, um, you're already behind the curve. Um, I want to say it was uh, Ken Smith from Boston Beer did a CBC online chat. And he had a really great uh, Zig Ziglar quote. I actually wrote it down because I didn't want to say it wrong. Uh, but he said, if you're not interested in learning, nobody can help you. If you're determined to learn, nobody can stop you. And that's Zig Ziglar. And that really stuck with me. His whole chat stuck with me. But that quote literally was like mind blowing to me because there are so many people um, you know, even at Carbock and in, in, in my experience and as us as educators, you know, I've, I can lead a horse to water, but I can't force you to drink. And we've done complimentary classes um, around the CBS to give people a certification. And it's like pulling teeth to get them to take the test. They're just not interested. So they fall in that former category. But you have people like this group and many people that are in the craft beer professionals group who are determined to learn and won't stop until you know, we continue to be an expert, which as we've just discussed, will never happen. So we never stop. And I think that's really cool. I'm really excited to be part of this community and continue to help grow it. Oh, I love it. We've kind of touched on a huge number of huge educational points this call. I want to wrap up as we hit the top of the hour. You know, you guys are passionate about education. You guys have educators in your literal titles for your job, but not everybody in the beer world right now is as trained in business world as some of you may be or not trained in how to be an educator. If you could just simply 
of advice to everyone out there, what would you say they could do to become a better educator for craft beer? I'll jump yeah. in. Oh, go ahead, Jim. I was just going to say uh, the first thing I do, we do a lot of tours. We don't schedule them. I, and when I'm in the tap room, my job is not to pour beer. It's not to cook pizza. I grab a half a pint. I go around and I just talk to tables. I read the crowd. And if there's people that are interested, I offer impromptu tours. They're very small, very private. Uh, and I take them back there and I don't guide the discussion. You know, if we get back there and they just want to sh uh, stare at shiny tanks, that's what they wanted and that's what they're going to get. If they want to go through the brewing process, sure, we'll do that too. Uh, but when you go to educate people, read your customer first. Because if I go talking about beer faults with somebody that really doesn't understand and it's their first day in a craft brewery, I'm talking way over their head. And you can watch their eyes glaze over and you're like, all right, come over here and let's stare at this shiny tank for a minute. And here's our canning line. Isn't this neat? So. You know, education, that's that's a super big term that we can't define as go do this because it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way for me. You know, maybe for some other businesses, it's different. You want to throw something in the hat? Um, sure. And I'll kind of riff off of Jim and Josh. Fairware and um, uh, approachable as possible. You have to remember that perception is personal, right? We all have different experience. We all have different bias. Um, so as an educator, I think the best thing to do is to be humble and to try to give people that open door, as Josh refers to, is you want me to help lead you to more. Um, let's like, sneak some stuff in, but ask me you know, to go deeper. And I think it's real important because uh, we're wrapping up to talk about not just educating on the beverage in the glass, but what your brewery is about, why you care about the community, what you want to say about the community. And, you know, diversity didn't come up once in this entire conversation. And the other, you know, disruption right now is the, uh, the standards being put in place of no turning back for systemic racism um, and, you know, uh, generational issues of our country and our culture, um, you know, not treating African-Americans in the manner that they should. And we all need to up our game. And I think part of being an educator when you're not talking about what's in the glass, but what your company ethos is about is, is where do you stand on matters of diversity and inclusion um, for who's walking in and out of your door? And how do you get new customers that wouldn't think to or feel invited to do that? And I think being an educator uh, can lead you there. Can You can be honest and open about where you've fallen up short, where you, you know, you've used your privilege in ways that you didn't realize and start being more open to educate others that certain topics of cultural um, importance matter to your company and you personally. Um, and I think you'll bring more people along. 100%. We have to create inclusive and welcoming environments. I couldn't agree more to that. Erica, Josh, you want to throw anything in before we wind up? Yeah, I would. Uh, I would just say educate on value. Um, you know, we we talk about quality a lot at White Labs, and when people hear quality in White Labs, they initially probably think quality yeast, right? Strict quality control and, and ensuring that we have a pure product, but 
uh, quality means much more than just a quality product and a consistent product. Uh, it, it's always going to go back to experience. Quality means that you're serving it in a clean glass. It means that you have good staff, that people care, that they're really trying to uh, understand your customer and give them the the experience that they're looking for. So uh, I would, and I think Julia touched on this a lot, is like, you know, show the value of your brand, of the experience of purchasing your product. Yeah, I think the big thing about beer and one of the things that really got me into it, you know, is beer knows no bounds. It doesn't matter what color you are, what ethnicity, what your or sexual orientation, you know, if it's the last dollar, if you've got a million dollars in the bank, it doesn't care. I've been lucky enough to go to hundreds of breweries throughout the United States um, and even some around the world. And I have met some amazing people. And I love that. Like when you walk into a place and you see the diversity of the community, that to me is a place that I want to hang out with. I can always find something on the board that I'll be able to enjoy. But really, I find myself spending time at community centers, which breweries, that's what we are. We are community centers. And I think we have a long way to go until we actually represent the community as a whole. But we're going to continue to work on it. And the fact that the problem is in our face right now and we're being forced to address it is probably one of the best things that can happen for this industry because it's going to allow us to, to either come out on top or it's going to destroy us. And I think we, it is going to allow us to come out on top. So. I would just encourage everybody to look around your community. And I mean, I think that brings back into all of this that we're talking on this last question about us as educators is how can we educate our community, not just on beer, but on community standards and on what we should be doing as great people. Cause that's why we got into this industry is we're great people and we want to share a great beverage. Josh, Jim, Julia, Eric, I love all of you guys. And I love what you do for the industry. I mean, it's part of what makes our industry so powerful, positive, and just passionate. I love it so much. And as we were just finishing up, I got an email notification. We've got the upcoming Crafted Professionals Fall Conference on October 5th to 7th. And I got an email notification that someone by the name of Ray Daniels put a proposal in titled New Directions in Beer Education, just as we were finishing up. So I really think that speaks to where we are right now. Education is so important in craft beer. And I really appreciate you for taking the time today to join us for a little conversation. I hope we're sharing a beer before too long in person. So you guys. Thanks again. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Go enjoy the rest of your beautiful Tuesdays. Thanks, everybody. Thank Thanks, you. Everybody.